Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Thank you, Kate and Koki. I'm telling you, and the girls, it's, it's families like that, individuals like yourself that make up, come on, this, this awesome church, this community of faith, right? And their story, they've been here six years. This might be your first Sunday, but we believe that uh, church is more than just a Sunday gathering, that it's actually community, it's family. It's for those who don't maybe have loved ones elsewhere. Uh, it's for those who have big families all are welcome and combined here, come on, in this household of faith. And so our hope over this next year, 2021, is that uh, you would be led just to find place and shape uh, with your gift in this community. Uh, you've seen Koki on stage leading the worship. Um, you haven't seen Kate on stage leading worship. I don't even know if she can sing. She probably can. But even if she can't, what you see is you see talents, and she's leading uh, some of our stage design, and that's just kind of a, just part of it. Uh, her, as an artist, and her involvement with the creative team is just continuing to expand, and if you know all their wonderful girls, they're rich with talent. What's the point? The point is that there is space and place for everybody, and I think it does take what, what Koki mentioned. Sometimes in a church this size, it sometimes takes a little initiative, uh, but I just want to encourage you, don't quit. Uh, don't stop being friendly. Don't stop sitting next to new people. Uh, don't, don't limit your little circle to three and no more, but just look to see how God wants to use you in this community uh, and how this then leaves on a Sunday and it, it floods out into the rest of the neighborhood and the community. So thank you for sharing your story. We're going to have more stories like that all year long. And I think what it does is it stirs, it stirs faith. And we've been in this series, uh, we started off with Pastor Mark talking about, remember, the right way to worship. Uh, and then we've talked about simplicity, and we talked about a little bit about fasting. Some of you engaged in that uh, this last week. We had a prayer and worship uh, weekend this last weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and even Sunday evening. And uh, what, we're, what we're setting uh, forward this year on our first few steps is uh, to learn to live the right way. And to live the right way r requires that we have to discipline uh, our spirit, our soul, and our body. And today, uh, we're going to continue on with this series as we're going to talk about spiritual practices. Uh, as we listened about worship, uh, as we engaged in prayer, uh, talked about simplicity. Today, I'm going to talk about one practice. I was going to do two, but for the sake of time, we're going to do one. And it's on the practice of remembrance. And I don't know what Bible passage you picked in Psalms. Uh, I, I'm not kidding. I told John this. Um, the first service, I just did the flipping point. Have you ever done that? That used to be my devotional as a kid, is just kind of flip and see where the Lord wants to point my finger, and I landed on it. It's probably not the best way to study. Matter of fact, I know it's not the best way to study. Um, but I, I landed on uh, Psalm 66, and it starts, the, f the second verse there is, tell the world how glorious he is. I thought, man, is that not what the church is called to do? Absolutely. But then I thought, oh, man, sometimes we can't tell the world how glorious he is if we don't first remind ourselves how glorious he is. 
I don't know about you, but there's times I've struggled in evangelism and and sharing my faith with someone. And the times I really struggle are the times I look back and realize that my focus got off the Word of God. My focus got off on something else. Uh, And it's really hard with joy and excitement to talk about Jesus if we're first not giving him our first attention, right? So when you look at the, the practice of remembrance, this isn't about remembrance so you can get good grades in school. This is remembrance with the sole purpose of being a spiritual discipline uh, so that you can recount and reflect on the faithfulness of God. How many think it'd be better to do that more than anything else? I do. Uh, I think if we're not careful, we can, whatever we habitually bear in mind or remember is it has a way of influencing how we live, how we function throughout, throughout the world. Uh, we see that in our day and age, there is a pattern of negativity that, f- that floods the, the airstreams. You see any time that you turn on a television, uh, if we still do that, whether it be your phone or whatever the case, uh, when you turn on a, 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 store, a source of story, I'll call it that, uh, because I'm a little, I don't know where I'm at on the whole source of news. I'm not sure if it's news. It's source of stories. And so when you turn on source of stories, what you see and what you hear is stories that are fueled by collusion and by um, heartbreak and by stories that involve accidents and murders and corruption. And if you're not careful, how many know that it can really deplete the soul? As a kid back in the day, I could watch... I could watch 30 minutes of news at 10 o'clock. Now I'm about, you know, four and a half minutes in, and I, I wonder why I feel so sad. And I, I start to think, man, is it something I ate? Like, did the, is it the fluorescent lights? Do we have fluorescent lights in our house? Is it that that's making me sad? Because those sometimes do. Uh, what, what is it that's making me sad? I realize, like, oh, it's, it's what I've been listening to and what I've been allowing into, into my life. It's depleting my soul. There was one study done by Sean Aker. He is uh, the writer of The Happiness Advantage. Uh, That book came from years of research at Harvard uh, that he did uh, as a student. Then also as he studied students at Harvard, uh, he was fascinated that he was on campus at one of the most prestigious schools uh, in, in the world, and most of the students there were depressed and sad. Uh, and it, he, he quickly finds out that uh, they're so overwhelmed with what they have to do, they forget the fact that they're there, and they're just a small percentage of who could actually be there amongst the world population, and even in that place, they find themselves sad. And he goes on to, to, to make note of this. He says, the focus of the negative tricks our brains into believing that this sorry ratio is reality, that most of life is negative, and they ask the question, have you ever heard of the medical school syndrome? It's where in the first year of medical school, as students listen to all the diseases and symptoms that can befall a person, many aspiring doctors become suddenly convinced that they've come down with all of them. He even said his own brother-in-law found this as a, as a med student. Uh, he thought for a moment that he had measles and that he was dealing with menopause. And so... Sean was able to convince him that he didn't have measles. Um, So the problem is when you focus so much on too many negative things, it can actually, I mean, this is kind of the bottom line for it, is that uh, if you focus so much on so many negative things, and that's where you spend most of your time and your mental energy focusing, 
you only secure kind of this, this messed up, skewed reality. But it becomes your, your reality, and, and then you're the one who has to manage and live with it. But there is another way, and the other way is uh, the, the way that's laid out in Scripture. If as followers of Jesus and as the church, if we would just do a better job at remembering and recalling, bearing to mind not the negatives around us, uh, but began to bear in mind the promises of Scripture, to consider the covenants of God that have been laid out and given long ago, to go through and account for the promise of God that have been proven throughout Scripture, and even those promises that are yet not fulfilled. Uh, they're, they're spoken, they're done, but we haven't walked into those yet. The more we spend time there, I guarantee the greater our life expounds with love and hope and mercy and grace. And we're able, instead of looking down on the pathway in front of us, overwhelmed with the weight of culture, we're able to set the shoulders back, eyes forward. And then we're really able to be aware of the needs and the people around us. I think the tact of the enemy is if we can get people loaded down so much with burdens, their eyesight will only be in front of them, and they'll miss out on these wonderful opportunities to be the church. Uh, So this is why uh, when we look at this practice, the spiritual practice, it's so important for us. And all I'm going to do today is read a lot of verses. You won't be able to write them all down, but I'm going to read a lot of verses as a way not in a negative sense, but in a positive sense, I want to stir the pot a little bit. I mean, I, I want to stir like that, that memory uh, gene in you. Uh, I, want to, I want to stir the memory functions in you for you to recall the goodness of God, not just in the person that's sitting next to you, but even throughout some of your uh, troubling story, there is a good God to be found. There is a good God, a great God to, to, to recognize. And he's never left you. He doesn't forsake us. God is is with us. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, this is where Moses is setting out a specific number of speeches. And as he is about ready to transition leadership, as he has been leading this first generation of Israel away from and out of the enslavement of the Egyptian hold, we see that it's about ready to be passed to a new leader by the name of Joshua, who was Moses' servant. And we see that the, the baton's being passed, and as it's being passed, these are words that stir memory in the heart in the nation of Israel so that they can remember what God has brought them out of, but also so they can be aware of what not to get involved with again, where to, to move around, what pitfalls to, to stay clear of. And we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says, Only be on guard and diligently watch yourself, Moses says, so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so you don't, they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. I, I love the fact that Moses recognizes that if we're not careful, there are things that slip from our mind. And I think that's the frustrating thing, is the things that should stay in your mind have a funny way of slipping from your mind. And the things that you want to slip from your mind have a way of just being stuck in your mind. It's like we got things backwards sometimes. We remember the negative things that have happened to us, and the good things that have happened to us have a way of easily slipping away. I think it's probably where we just give our attention. Have you ever been stuck in a vehicle before, whether it be in snow or mud? Yeah, a few of us had the opportunity to experience that. Good. One thing that you'll find is the more that you accelerate, the worse it gets. So what happens is if, you're not, if you don't do it the right way, you spend excess energy and fuel 
trying to get out, but you never get out. You always get more stuck to where now you're now all the tires are off the ground and you're high centered. And what do you need? Well, you need someone outside of you to help you out. And when you look at scripture, I look at scripture as not being slippery. It's not, it, it, it's God's intention for the word of God in you isn't, I'm going to give you the word, but I'm going to make it like a bar of soap, and I'm going to make sure this is going to be hard to hang on to. No. The, the word of God has traction to it. And what you need when you're stuck is you need what? You need traction. And it doesn't mean that the traction comes from me and you just trying to accelerate more and more and burn more energy. It comes from stopping and assess, assessing the situation and learn to do it the right way. Some of you getting out of your stuckness, out of your trap is as easy as pausing and letting God take the lead. But man, in letting God take the lead, it means that you have to, you have to just watch and you have to follow. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. We want to get ourselves out of these traps that we find ourselves in. Um, we see that Moses, though, speaks to this. He says, listen, make sure that you guard and watch yourself and be diligent about it. And make sure what you've seen that you don't forget and don't let it slip from you. So there's a, a diligence that's required here. Uh, he goes on then in two chapters later, and we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and as a church we've talked about this over the years, but there was a prayer that the ancient Israelites used to pray, and even to this day Judaism has prayed it for a thousand years, a thousand plus years. It's this prayer that is in, in verses 4 through 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it starts off by saying, hear or listen, O Israel. And that word hear or listen is translated from the Hebrew word Shema. So this is where we get what they call the Shema prayer. It's a combination of this passage and then it's coupled with Numbers 13 and also Deuteronomy chapter 11. And together, this is a prayer that the Jewish community, the, the nation of Israel would pray in the morning and in the evening. This was a two time a day, twice a day prayer. And in this prayer, listen to what it says. It says, hear, O Israel, or listen, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And this is an important opening statement because in this day and age, we are immersed in polytheism. So there's the belief of so many different gods. There's so many different gods in idolatry that's competing for the attention of Yahweh. And so the nations of Israel are saying, this is our prayer. This is what we're banking our entire life on. And that's this, that we're going to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these are the words that I command you today. They shall uh, be on your hearts. You shall teach them, look at this, diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your houses, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a signpost on your head, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I think what's happening here is a warning's being given that uh, if they are to do this, then they will uh, surely escape uh, the, the, the poles of culture. If they don't, they, they don't have a chance. 
But as they continue to make a reminder, both individually and households, and as uh, 12 families, 12 tribes, what they're saying is that God above all other false gods, other entities, other idols is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God that we will serve all of our lives. This is Yahweh. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And it's this God that trumps every other pseudo God. Every God that tries to take claim to this has nothing in comparison to who Yahweh is. And they would say that in the morning and they would say that in the evening. Now, I'm not going to go hard on you because my prayer time getting out of bed, it wasn't, I stepped on a dog bone. It wasn't that, it wasn't that terrific. But could you imagine if, if every morning you woke up and you begin to pray the Shema? Like the first thing you do is you wake up in the morning, you begin to remind yourself who it, the God that you serve is. He's not third place. He didn't get a green participation ribbon, but he is first. He is foremost. He's the beginning and the end and everything in between. He is the God who stabilizes and rules and lives and reigns in every heart and every life, right? He is the, the, he is the God that is to be feared over all other gods. And we're not going to love him passively or just on a Sunday, but we're going to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And this became the, the centerpiece for this, their prayer, for their spiritual journey. It was steeped in this idea of you have to remember, you have to remember, you have to remember. Because the fear is if you don't remember, then you're not going to do if you don't bring to mind and bear to mind the promises of God, then you're not really going to live out the promises of God. And if you're not going to live out the promises of God, guess who also gets ripped off? The next generation. So there's this, there's this demand. You have to know the promises of God. You have to remember. You have to declare. And you have to diligently teach them to your family and to your, to your children. The other part is in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. Listen to what it says. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. So it's repetitive. You shall write on them the doorposts of your house and the gates, so that the days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens remain from the earth. And the Numbers 15, it continues. The Lord spoke to Moses saying this, Speak to the sons of Israel, and tell them that they uh, shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout the generations. And they shall put on the tassel, each of the corner, a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at this, to look at and remember all that the Lord has commanded. So in what they wear, it's going to be a signal to remember the God that they serve. And he goes on. And as they do this, uh, and they're not to follow after their own heart or their own eyes, after which they played the harlot, so that you may remember, once again, remember to do all the commandments and be holy to your God as I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, 
to be your God, and I am the Lord your God. Notice that in that uh, the 11th chapter of Deuteronomy, that it keys in on uh, eyes and hands. So it's, it's, it's suggesting that with your eyes, what do you do? You, you see. Uh, with your hands, what do you do? Well, most action is done with your hands. So it's saying that the shema has everything to do with the action of your life, but also the vision of your life. So when you frame your prayer around God, Yahweh, the Lord above it all, we're going to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That influences what you see in your life, and it also influences the actions, the activity of your life. He warns them, don't go after what looks good in your eyes. And what's, what's, he, what's that repetitive? Well, that's repetitive in the Garden of Eden. The one thing that Eve did is she went after what looked good to the sight. Her son had the same thing in, com- in common, Cain. He offered what he thought was right to the Lord. Uh, the Tower of Babel, they did the same thing. They, they thought the best way to reach heaven is on their own, so they did what was right in their own eyes, and they built with their own effort. When Abraham comes to Lot and he's dividing the land, he gives Lot the first choice. What does Lot do? He goes after the land, that, the plains that looked right to him. So the, the problem is, and you can see it's, um, examples of all through scripture is that uh, if we're not careful and we're left to ourselves, we'll pick what looks right to us, but most often it always ends in a dead end and destruction and frustration. What we have to do when we pray is we have to allow God to lead. And when God leads, he chooses what's right. The problem with that on our end is we don't know the full story. So we have this little thing that's called trust. We have to then trust the process that what God said uh, to do and where he said to go is going to be a way in which he's going to bring not death and destruction, but uh, it's going to bring life and more life and life abundantly. So we see that... uh, There were these reminders uh, in what they wore, the blue tassels. Look at the tassels. If you forget who you are, remember. Are you looking at, oh, yeah, that's that's, that's why I'm here. I'm I'm to serve the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. I I don't know about you, but is there some type of reminder in your life that you've used uh, to remind yourself and maybe your household of the goodness of of God. In Joshua chapter 4, we see that there was another reminder. And this reminder is when he is leading this uh, second, essentially second exodus as he's moving into the promised land, crossing the Jordan River, no longer the Red Sea. We see, we see once Joshua and the Ark of the Covenant and the priests and the nation of Israel gets past the Jordan in Joshua chapter 4, we see God instructs them to take one man from every family of the 12. And so 12 household members are told to go into the middle of these, the, the Jordan that's completely dried up now because this was a miracle of the Lord. And to pick up a stone, not something that I showed even last week, like a little rock, but a stone that you can hoist in on your shoulder and the 12 with their stones will move from the center of the Jordan, which represents the miracle of God. And they'll move back towards the ark that's at the center of the families, and they'll set up these stones as what? As a memorial. So that when the children ask and when the adults forget, they can look there, and that can be a reminder of what God has done. The fact that God got us away from the grip of Egypt and the enslavement and the persecution there, and he brought us to a place of promise, a place that was laid out even before we saw it 
with our eyes, uh, God already had it in mind, in place. And these stones represent this call to action, and the call to action is remember, remember, remember. Remember what you, what you were brought out of. Remember how you were rescued. Remember how you were delivered from the abuse and persecution. Remember that God has not forgotten you. When you look at Luke chapter 22, just another, so we have blue cords that were a reminder, part of the, the, the prayer garments that were a reminder that the Lord our God is one. We have memorial stones that a nation is able to point to uh, as an example of this is what God has done. But you remember in Luke chapter 22, uh, it's where Jesus is with the disciples at the table, and there's a breaking of bread, and there's a uh, passing of wine. He says this, as you break the bread, as you take the bread, you eat this in what? In remembrance of me. And when you take this drink, when you take this cup, you drink this in what? In remembrance of me. What What's happening? Jesus is calling these young 12 to account. He's saying, don't forget this. Let this be a memorial. Let this be a reminding point for you all your life that when you break the bread, you're mindful that my body was broken for you. And then when you take the cup, you're mindful, you remind yourself morning, noon, and night that the blood that's represented in this cup is the blood that was covered for you for your sin. By this cup and by my life, you have entrance to life and life in abundance, eternal. So even in the sitting down of dinner or supper, whatever you call it in your household, the breaking of bread, and the, the taking of the cup, you can use that as a moment to stop and consider the wonderful outpour of God within our life, his grace, his mercy, his truth. And if, if you need another reminder, this is, this is a fun reminder. Uh, go to wherever your yearbook is. Get your family around and open the yearbook and let the kids say, Dad, where are you? Like you're looking at them. Where, Dad? Right Right there. Dad, that's what happened. You're like, son, that's, that is proof of the goodness of the Lord. Come on, you know it. Like your hairdos, let's go, 12 years ago? You're like, huh. What, what were you thinking? Does anyone remember Macaroni Grill? Yeah. I think in my 20s, I was on a hard carb diet. It was like carb only. A lot of pasta, a lot of bread, a lot of dairy. And so when my kids see those pictures, like, Dad, like, like, what was going on in here? I'm like, son, that, those are tricky years. Those are the beginning years of ministry. I mean, I don't know where I was, but look at what God's done, right? But isn't it fun when you get around and actually begin to tell stories, naturally what it does? Especially stories that are faith-filled and that edify. It's like... People, they don't lean back, bored with it. They lean in. They're like, no way. And, and if they're really good stories, what happens? They want you to tell it again. Now, there's a gentleman. He passed away. He's, with, he's, he's in the very presence, full presence of Jesus, Harold Johnson. Harold and Marge, uh, they both went to be with Jesus over the last year, and she, she was a couple years before that. Uh, but I love this, this man because growing up in the church, especially on Christmas Eve, we'd had that uh, candlelight service, and he was always the last to really blow out the candle. And we always do that, and those that are participating in that, we talk, hey, if you've served God for, if you served Jesus for a year to five years, 10 years, 20 years, and as you hit the
kind of that number, you blow out the candle, and it's like this visible reminder of really the, how good God is. And you get to the few that have their candle still lit at 60 years. And then you're like, man, I, got, I have to know more. And this is my challenge for you. This is kind of homework this week is um, spend time asking uh, people their story. Spend time asking people about, okay, what, what happened in your life? Where in your life did, did uh, you know there had a surrender had to take place and you said yes to Jesus? I guarantee their story, as they remember themselves, it does something in them, but it also does something in you. There was a message that we had this last Sunday night, and it was a message uh, really challenging uh, uh, this two generations, the Daniel generation uh, and those of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that there has to be an honoring of two generations. And I, I think there is just, there's a lot of great ways, but a really good way to honor a generation is get around people that are older than you. And for those that are older in, in the Lord, and you are, are, come on, are faithful saints, then I want you to get around people who are younger than you and swap stories. Share stories of God's faithfulness and just see what it does in your life and all the hearers that are around you. I just think we have to do a better job. Stop being so rushed and hustled and busied with life to where we can lift our head up and listen to someone who's maybe served Jesus longer and better than we have uh, and listen to their stories of remembrance and see what it does within our life. So this is what Jesus said to the disciples, when the bread's broken, when the cup is received, you're, you're doing this in remembrance, not of just somebody, not of your neighbor or uh, that one scenario, but you're doing this in remembrance of me, uh, that I am uh, your life, your, uh, your peace, your hope. Amen? And I'm almost done. Worship team can almost come up. It just helps you guys out. Buying some time so you don't leave on me. So as worship comes up, I'm going to give you four, four things to remember. And then I'm going to give you 22 promises to consider. Some of you panicked. Don't worry about it. Four things to remember. Four things to remember. Not a thousand. Four things to remember. Spiritual discipline. Remembrance. Bearing to mind, recalling the faithfulness of God in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. When you wake up this week, this is, this is, the, this is the rhythm. Just recall one thing that God has done. That's it. Not a thousand, just, just one thing. And then for lunch, do it again. We'll, we'll go beyond the Shema. Do, do it again, and at lunchtime, remember one more thing that God has done. And your very last thought before you go to sleep at night, this is my challenge, remember one more thing that God has done. The first thing to remember is remember his rescue. Remember his rescue. Moses said that he stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all nights and made the sea dry lands, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on Dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. I would say that's not for anybody here in Average Monday. I would say this is uh, unusual. I would say I'd be willing to bet that no one in here has experienced this. 
And some of you are like, well, I don't know if it was like really that high of a water. It's probably knee high. So pretty much anyone could do that. Okay, what about the dry land? That's pretty impressive. Well, yeah, you give it enough time, it's going to dry, dry out a pathway there. Uh, so all the, the people, all the nation of Israel could have crossed. You're like, yeah, okay, that might be, I, I, don't, I doubt that you're right on that one. Then you'd have to answer the question, then if it was only knee-deep water, then how did Pharaoh and all the Egyptian army drown in knee-deep water? So there's a miracle one way or the other. I'm, I'm willing to believe that it was the fact that God sent an east wind and he pushes the water to form walls and the children of Israel weren't like going through with hip waders and uh, their rain boots because the mud was so deep, but it says it was dry land. I, I love this because when God rescues, he rescues all the way. Uh, he doesn't rescue just partial. He doesn't, get this, he doesn't get the job going, and it's up to you to finish the project. No way. If that's the case, we'd all be stuck neck deep in mud. We have a God who not only sends an east wind to drive an alleyway through the Red Sea, but he also dries it out so you can get across guaranteed. An equal, an equal rescue mission is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul's not describing just a good person. Like, yeah, we don't, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm basically good. Well, Paul doesn't describe that apart from Jesus, we're basically good. He, he describes that apart from Jesus, we're violent and we're perverse and we're turned in on ourselves and we are deeply corrupt and we are hateful and vengeful and unforgiving and twisted all which way. But here is the equal miracle as it is to the Jordan River and the Red Sea. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. I think we have to get up tomorrow morning and when we go to bed tonight and we just remember, ah, thank you for rescuing me. There's no way we could have got through that body of water without you, God. But you're the one who sent the east wind and you made a pathway for us, right? Oh, God, (laughs) if it wasn't for you, if you didn't send another east wind, if you didn't send Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life and uh, rescue me from myself, I would just be stuck, beyond stuck. I would be dead in trespasses in the weights of sin. I don't know if that just changed our day on Monday if we woke up thinking about that. The second thing to think about is remember his provision. Psalms 81 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth. And here's the promise, I will, I will fill it. We see that Moses, uh, obviously as, as God is instructing him, he, he calls to mind to the children of Israel all that God's done when it comes to provision. I've led you for 40 years and you haven't had to replace your sandals. I mean, come on. How many, how many shoes have you had in 40 years? He goes, I've led you 40 years and you haven't had to replace your shoes. 
You haven't eaten bread for 40 years. You haven't had strong drink. You haven't had wine. And that's to to show and to prove that you can rely on me. And I've kept you nourished and hydrated and alive and thriving, even in the midst of a horrible situation called the wilderness experience. The call to mind is that God provides even when it doesn't make sense to us. Paul says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to God our Father, glory forever and ever. Amen. God rescues us. God provides for us. Another thing to remember, that it's all, my friend, by his grace. We have to remember his grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm telling you, wake up tomorrow morning and remind yourself, ah, Today, thank you, it's grace that I've been saved. And if you can save me by your grace, then there's nothing that presents itself today that you can't rescue me from. I am living this grace story because of the wonder of King Jesus. And lastly, remember, remember his promises. Joshua, as he is the new leader now of Israel, we see after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, uh, your servant is dead. Now, therefore... Arise, go over this Jordan, you and his people, into the land that I'm giving you, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness, as Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. This is a big backyard uh, that Joshua is getting. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was. He's reminding them, just as Joshua, remember, just as I was with Moses, um, I'm going to be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Here's his words to him. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only, a second time, be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all this, the law of Moses, my servant has commanded you. Remember, don't let that slip from you, Joshua. Do not turn from the right or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart, verse 8, from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Sounds like Psalms 1. So that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you a third time? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. And don't be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I think the promises of God demand from us strength and courage. You know what God's going to give you along with the promises he's already given and they're at your disposal to receive, he's going to give you this wonderful ability to be strong and courageous. If you felt less than that in your life, maybe this last year or the years leading up to this, know this today that you can take great assurance that God makes a way 
for you to be strong and courageous. And what happens is when you remind yourself about the goodness of God, it builds, it fuels you with the energy and the faith needed to be strong and courageous in a world that would try and get the opposite out of you. Uh, Your call, your response to the promise of God is be strong and courageous. Now this frightens you, but I'm gonna read 22 promises uh, that are in scripture. They're not 22 points, so I'm not gonna stop on every point. I'm just gonna read them real quick, uh, and we'll probably make them available uh, on our email as we send that out uh, this, this week. So you gotta open the email if you wanna read through it. Are you ready? 22 promises out of, what I read? Uh, 7,487, about. God promised towards you in 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, over 7,000 promises that you can grab hold of. I'm only asking you to maybe consider one, two, three, or maybe 22 today and just see what it does in your faith and how it affects your family and your perspective of the world around you. He will never leave you nor forsake you, Deuteronomy 31.6. God will strengthen you and hold you by his righteous, victorious right hand, Isaiah 41.10. He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. Psalms 91, verse three and four. The Lord will go before you. Yes, the God of Israel will protect you from behind. Isaiah 52, 12. What's he saying? He's saying that God has your back. He, his love will never fail you. It's consistent. Isaiah 54, 10. If you need wisdom, James says, all you have to do is you have to ask. You don't, he won't rebuke you and he won't turn you away. He'll give you wisdom, James 1.5. God will meet your needs according to his riches. He has a deep, deep supply, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. He will deliver you from your troubles. Are you troubled today? Well, Psalms 34.17 says that God will deliver you from those troubles troubles. He works all things out for the good for those who love and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8 28. God is our refuge and strong tower in times of trouble. Psalms 9 verse 9. He gives guidance and directions. Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6. He will bless you and give you the crown of life. James chapter 1 verse 12. He gives you beauty for ashes. Isaiah 61 3. Grace and mercy and peace will be yours according to 2 John 1 verse 3. A few more. The Lord Lord will make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Numbers 6, verse 25. He will give you the uh, rest for your weary and worn out life. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Peace I leave with you. My peace I will give to you. Not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 14, verse 27. Healing and abundant peace and security. Jeremiah 33, 6. The joy of his presence. Psalms 16, verse 11, victory, salvation, eternal life through Jesus Christ, Romans 10, Romans 8, and Romans 6. That's just 21 of 7,487. And then the 22nd one that I picked is he'll give you the promise. He's giving you the promise of the Holy Spirit. Psalm or Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be witnesses of me, right, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the ends of the earth. So what's the problem? Or what's the the solution here? The solution is this, that God will give you the power of himself, his very spirit, so that you can adequately and fundamentally 
with faith and assurance, with energy, with steadfastness, with boldness and with courage and with strength, accomplish the mission that he's assigned for your life, your church, your family, your community, and your business to accomplish. He does this by giving you the word, but he also gives you the word and it's coupled with his spirit. His spirit will empower you to be a witness in your workplace, in your neighborhood. He'll give you the ability to be a witness in your family. Yes, that one person who's not yet surrendered and said yes to Jesus, guess what? You don't have to be frustrated about it. You, you can live in the power and the grace and the certainty of Jesus and his spirit and watch what he's able to do through you, around you, for you, uh, for his namesake. That's 22 promises. I just wonder if we're gonna, we're gonna do this. I'm gonna ask this to stand for a moment. The, the worst team's gonna lead us in in this, this song as we get ready to close here. But I don't know, I just, I love all 22. I love 7,400 and something promises that are in scripture, but there's one that, man, it absolutely stands out to me. And the one that stands out to me is showcased throughout the New Testament. And it's, it's the, the, the proof that uh, if you are apart from Jesus, you were never designed to be that way. If you're outside the household of faith, you were never meant to be outdoors. He's opened the door so that you could be on the inside. And we see this, that as you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that, mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, guess what? In that moment, not in a year to come, not in a decade, but in that very moment, Jesus makes residence within your life. He comes into your home, your world, your story. And he takes that which the world had broken you and that which the enemy had tied you up in and he releases you from those restraints and from that bondage. And he takes you from out in the cold, lonely, and by yourself. Come on, somebody. And he brings you in to a household of faith, deep, rich relationship that you can have life and purpose and meaning. That's the one that if you haven't grabbed hold of that, during this song, that's the one I'd be grabbing hold of. I want to remind myself that, whoa, in this moment, even though I've not had a relationship with Jesus, I want to take hold of the promise that he's for me, that he sent his very son to die on a cross for me to be my place. He went in my stead. He took death, hell, and the grave, and he broke it completely. And because of his resurrection life, the victory that's in Jesus, you're telling me today I can have freedom and victory and I have to live in bondage and a slave to sin anymore? I'm telling you, you're exactly right. You don't have to do that. You can live free today by the power of Jesus. So just consider one promise just in the next few moments. And as we, as we sing and we go into this moment of just worship, just begin to say, God, thank you for that, that one thing. Thank you for your rescue. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your grace that I did not work my way out of this horrible pit. And thank you that your promises, they don't fail, and there's plenty to choose from. Can we do that? Father, thank you today as we just begin to worship, as we begin to think about, Lord, the wonder of who you are and what you've done. Lord, I thank you that you're helping us call to mind those things that just are going to, man, trigger some faith in our life that we've maybe uh, had the lid on. I pray that you would open the lid of faith, open the lid uh, that is limited courage and, and, and uh, boldness. Lord, open the lid that has uh, even limited our ability to believe. We believe strong again today that you, you are who you say you are and you can do whatever you want to do. God, thank you that you're the God who's rescued and shaped and loved our life. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.